Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. We're coming to you off the back of Fulham's amazing 2-1 win over our close rivals Chelsea. Fulham now sits sixth in the Premier League. Uh, our first win over Chelsea in about 15 years. Uh, only one win since 1966 prior to that. And we're now four wins in the Premier League on the trot. First time that's happened since 1966 as well. Here to discuss it all with me, I have Sam. Sam, how are you going? I believe Brendan Fraser once said to Adam Sandler, he does not play underdogs. He plays champions that have been overlooked. And everyone is looking in our eyes right now because we are, oh, it's such a, it's a great day. I'm so happy to be here. So you're good? I'm good. And then uh, joining us from the road, actually, driving back from Margaret River to Perth, watched Fulham on a campsite first thing in the morning. Elton, how are you going? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So, look, guys, uh, what a result last night. I mean, Sammy and I previewed the game. We both predicted 2-1. Good job, Sam. Thank you. Um, And, look, it's, it's tough to put into words. I was all over Twitter basically all day today following all the people commenting how amazing it was being at the at cottage last night just uh, yeah i mean the the fan base is absolutely bouncing at the moment and sammy go on just give us your recap of how you feel after last night's result look i'm i'm dicking around a lot but i'm i'm kind of speechless and lost for words um Oh, I'm just it's it's just so elating and I'm just I'm just so proud I'm I'm intensely proud of everything that this season is and just I mean I I made it very clear how much this win means to me and I'm I'm in a state of euphoria and disbelief and it's 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 a wonderful wonderful it's a wonderful feeling Let me sum that up for you Sam I think what you're really trying to say is it's just too good to be true. Very good. Uh, Dad, what I was going to say, last time we spoke uh, when we were reviewing the Hull game, we talked about the upcoming fixtures and looked at you know, our, our games coming up with two games against Chelsea. We also have Newcastle and Spurs in those. And I think we, we sort of agreed that we'd be pretty happy, really, if we took four points from those four games, um, yeah. knowing the quality that those teams all have. We're one game down. We need to play Chelsea again, and we've already got three points. How how does that sort of tee the rest of our season up if we're getting these kind of results quite comfortably as well? Well, I was just thinking after the game, you know, I know it's cliche, but I really believe that this team fears nobody now. I mean, they, they, they may not be thinking they're going to smash Man City, or even Man United, Tottenham or Liverpool, but I don't think they fear them. And I think they genuinely think they can get points. True true confidence. Just to sort of recap the season so far, if we look at the results, you know, you're talking about us not fearing anyone. uh, And we look at how we played against the top teams. We look at Arsenal, where we lost to a very late goal. Liverpool, we conceded late to draw that game. Man United and Man City, we conceded late goals to those teams. The only teams that we've sort of been beaten comfortably by were West Ham, where all three goals probably should have been ruled out, and Newcastle, where we had a man sent off after, what, three minutes into the game? 
really we we shouldn't be fearing anyone because our, our performances so far have proved that we can we can play with the big boys and we're sitting sixth in the league for a reason it's not luck we're we're outplaying the teams below us and we're giving a good fight against the teams above us so it's not overly surprising that we're in this position so look let's let's just crack straight into the game because there's a there's a fair bit to cover we'll start off sammy how did you think both teams started the game um pretty competitive i mean we we talked about it last time like like um regardless of whether chelsea is um up for a game a lot they're still brilliant players so even when they kind of can't be asked um which we will talk about a lot today um even when they kind of can't be asked they're still they're still pretty excellent um uh, their ball control is incredibly incredibly strong um but with that being said it was pretty evident from the start that fulham rocked up to this game not aggressively which i which i'm like at the time i was like oh i want us to be kind of like coming out of the gates really really hard but in hindsight i mean for the full 90 minutes i just thought we played excellent i really thought we played excellent i feel like we perfectly matched chelsea even though we were re i don't even want to say playing outside of like our capabilities because that just that's almost giving us a disservice Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still all over the shop. Like I'm like I I'm, I've just been through an emotional whirlwind right now. You know, I feel like we're gonna just need to come let you let you just vent a little bit, Sammy, and then come back to you every five minutes or so. Yeah, that's once cool. You, once you've had that, a little breather, that's how this pod works anyway. Get the ice pack out, Sammy. Just cool off, uh, um, Dad. I guess winding back a little bit from from the first few minutes. What were your thoughts on the the lineup? We obviously, I I personally was expecting Diop to probably come back in for Tosin. Um, apart from that, I think it was as we expected with Vinicius starting up front. But uh, they they were the two sort of contentious decisions: um, Tosin over Diop and Vinicius over any of our other attacking players. What were your thoughts when you saw the lineup initially? Yeah, look, um, I I wouldn't have put money on uh, Tosin starting. Mm. Not not related to his previous outing where I thought he played pretty well. Um, it's kind of surprising that Diop's missed two starts. If if he's gen- if this is genuinely rotation, that doesn't seem to fit the rhythm. So they must have tactically uh, decided that Tosin had a part to play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked, you guys talked a lot about Vinicius and how we would approach that. I, I, I think there was very little doubt that um, the management were going to back Vinicius in. There was obvious commentary about wanting him to play with personality, which I think is very much silver style and and boys are paying dividends now. Um, So yeah, I think uh, what I thought was most interesting is that João Felix, straight off playing in your go boy, come and uh, Work your magic and uh, pay off your loan deal by uh, get, getting some goals. He, you know, came straight playing, signed his contract, and uh, um, got his shirt on. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. You know, we we saw when the Felix transfer was announced, Chelsea made quite a big deal of the fact that they really did rush it through to make sure that he was available to play straight away. And look, early on, it, it was quite obvious that he was. 
um, Chelsea's strongest player. I think out and out, he he dominated the game yeah. across both teams. He was probably the best player on the field. He he's very uh, very tricky. He's got a really good first touch. Every time the ball got to him, I, I was fractionally nervous, which is I think the sign of a good player when you're watching a game like that. The only thing, the only thing that kind of kept me at bay with Jao Felix is he's a brilliant player, but he's mainly a playmaker. So um, he's not really known for scoring as much. Like his best result in the season is only about eight goals. So I just kept on saying that to myself, like constantly saying that to myself, and that kind of. Then how did, how did that work for you? Well, oh, he got had a red about card. Five shots on target. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the stats, but um, Jao Felix had more shots on target in the first, I think, 35 minutes than Chelsea had had in any game so far this season. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it proves he, he's there for that reason, uh, and it's a, a really good signing for them, except for the fact that he got sent off and he's going to miss a month's worth of football now. Um, but To me, I, I, I thought... Um, you know, I thought it was a fairly even start uh, yeah. in, in terms of intensity, but he was the difference, and he made me pretty anxious. He, he looked like he looked like being able to score at any moment, regardless of the run of play for me. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, if we're talking about the first sort of 15 minutes or so, it did feel like both sides are sort of feeling each other out a little bit. Um, I think Chelsea probably got themselves into the game better than Fulham did at the start. Um, it, it had a it had a real derby feel to it where both teams are, you know, sitting back a little bit, letting the other team have possession, seeing what the lines look like, seeing where the spaces are. Uh, but the first real, I guess, flashpoint of the game, um, Chelsea gave away possession, ball fell to Vinicius, who actually did really well, looked up straight away, played in Bobby Reed, who lashed the ball. I initially thought the ball was going miles over the crossbar because I thought he hit it way too high. And it ricochets off the crossbar. Dad, your thoughts there? Should um, Bobby Reed have? I mean, he did technically hit the target, but should he have actually put that one in the back of the net, considering he got it past Kepper, who didn't move? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought. I also thought. I was surprised it hit the crossbar. But from 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 the angle, I thought it was miles over. Yeah, me um, too. But then looking at looking at the rear angle of how much time he had and how well he sort of hit it, I'm kind of surprised he didn't do better. I know that's very contradictory, but it felt like he should have done a little bit better there. Yeah. I think he, he probably snatched at the shot a little bit. Sammy, your thoughts on that sort of the fact that we were creating chances initially quite early before either team had had a chance on goal? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like when you play a team like Chelsea, it's kind of imperative that you have to do that. Also as well... Um, uh, I mean, I'll talk about I'll talk about it a bit more later. But like, I for for the whole game and particularly at the start, I just could see that Vinicius was at least there and challenging, and just like played with like his chin up, and I like even at that point, I was like, okay, obviously, obviously, you want Mitrovic there, but I'm like, I feel happy that this is happening i'm not stressed because before he's stressed me and um with regards to like bobby's goal i think like I, it kind of felt like he hoofed it anyway like i felt that there wasn't a lot of precision going on there like mm. it, it didn't feel like um what'd you call it it, it was a snapshot feel... yeah yeah 
Like you remember when uh, Mitrovic um, scored against um, Spurs and he did that just ridiculous goal, but it just felt like so like controlled, um, yeah, and purposeful. I feel I feel that Bobby was just doing a bit of a hell mary. Yeah, he I, I, he hit it first time and he was you know aiming high to try and beat the keeper. I think by by watching Kepa for the game. I, you could have just put it on target, and I think it would have been a goal based on his mm. his performance. But uh, we we will talk about Vinicius in a bit more detail later when we get to to the winning goal. But um, look, a couple of minutes after Bobby hit the crossbar, uh, Fulham actually take the lead. Um, great goal from Willian. Um, Lewis Hall, who is a young kid starting for Chelsea at left back, um, should have done better with his clearance. Yeah, but I thought Lewis. I thought Lewis Hall actually played great overall. I thought he was genuinely. he was one of the better players, and I think that's where Chelsea need to go. Is if you if you're having the season they're having at the moment, you should focus on some of those youth players who who have some real talent. But yeah, he fa- failed to clear the ball. Um, Trevor Chalobah as well, I thought was uh, terrible. Yeah, um, I agree. He had a he had an awesome game. He really did have a very poor game, and he should have done a lot better with his clearance there. The ball falls to Willian on the sort of the edge of the box, just inside the box. Um, I, I think it, it's obviously a, a good finish to get the ball on target. There, it does take a wicked deflection off Chalaba, but I'm going to say Aspilicueta should have done much, much better closing him down there. Um, those two played at Chelsea together for five plus years. They'd train against each other every single week. Willian did the same thing he does every week: drops the shoulder a bit, just found himself a little bit of extra space. Dad, your, your thoughts on Willian's goal and his finish? Well, the, the, the commentators made the correct assessment there. Like, if if you know Willian, even if you've seen him for a half an hour in a game, he does the same thing every time. He yep. always looks to cut inside onto his right foot. I'm sure his left foot is okay, but his right foot is so much more venomous. He's always looking to do it, particularly from that position. So there's a sort of a lapse of concentration or a little bit. Yeah, it should have done better, surely. Um, I I just think it was so incredibly well-deserved. I thought even up to that point, he was a real handful. Not pacey, but really difficult. And he was, it was really good to watch him against... You know, quality, quality individuals. Whereas, you know, if, if, if you're playing against Hull and you're running rings around them, it's maybe that not that impressive for William, age mid-30s, to be performing like that. But against, you know, pretty top individuals uh, in, 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 the, in the prime of their individual careers, I thought he looked really, really world-class. Yeah, absolutely. He he had another superb game for Fulham, and he, he's you know we've made a lot of very good signings this year, uh, and you could you could pick four different signings who, who all started today, who you, who could easily be considered a signing of the season. Um, for most clubs, I think you'd say based on their performances, they'd be signing of the season. For us, it's it's a lot harder because there's four outstanding players we picked up in Leno. Polina, Willian, and Pereira, who've all been superb so far this season. So, uh, I agree. Willian had a great game. Sam, your your thoughts on Willian's goal celebration? I want to talk about um, uh, the goal celebration, and I also want to talk about um, when Sam was driving to work and basically listening to it on the radio like it was the nineteen thirties. 
Sam was screaming in his car. He's had to go back and rewatch that to actually get a perspective on what actually happened. But at the same time, um, you were you were texting me, and I was just essentially trying to keep it together because I was on the road and listening to it. Um, yeah, the celebration. Um, part of me wants to like as an objective fan be like. Good on Willian for being neutral as he has a deep respect for the club. But the Fulham fan in me who hates Chelsea, um, uh, it didn't it didn't leave a sour taste, but let's just say there was another celebration. Uh, if that was the only goal of the match, I'd probably have a big issue. But there was another celebration that happened later on in the game that kind of, I was like, that's the celebration that I want to see and need at this moment. So because that celebration was so good, which we will get to, um, it kind of evened it out for me. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't overly happy with that, but I understand it. It's a nuanced thing. Ugh, it's yeah, politics. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Sammy. I was watching the game that happened at 425 a.m. here in Perth. I said to you at the time, I think I pumped my fist so hard in silence that I almost passed out. That's um, Yeah, I remember that, actually. I it was, that. yeah, uh, one of those moments that you cross your fingers and hope to see and then it actually happens. We have to remember thing, Yeah, the funniest thing about it, though, was, yeah, William was being very, very passive and all, all of our guys were just going mental around him. It was great. It was great. What I was going to say, the thing that you sort of have to remember is you know, I, I do remember quite clearly the last time we beat Chelsea, but there's a lot of Fulham fans out there who probably weren't even alive when Fulham beat Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, you know, even my age, uh, who've only ever seen Fulham beat Chelsea once in their lifetime, uh, only people about dad's age would have seen them beat them more than once. Um, I do feel that was quite overly politically correct and overly kind of sensitive of him to not celebrate. Why, why can't he celebrate? He's, he's, playing for a new, he's playing for a new team. He's, he, they're celebrating a goal with your teammates and there's disrespectfully running to the away end and giving them a finger or something stupid like that. And he was never going to do that. That's not, it's not his style. But I don't know that anyone would begrudge him celebrating a really worthy goal. When I think about it, maybe it's a it's a hangover of him having some pretty difficult times with the general public um, recently in Brazil, where he feels, you know, from a family security perspective, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to rub absolutely any human being up the wrong way because he's had a bad experience. Honestly, I, I get what you're saying, but genuinely, I don't actually think it's that deep. Unfortunately, I think he was at Chelsea for seven years. He won two Premier Leagues there, and I think he just, I, I as I, much as I hate to say it, I think he just loves Chelsea, and I hate to say that, but I don't think he'd do the same thing against Arsenal. No, he he, he definitely wouldn't. The, the other thing to consider as well is, you know, he, like Sam said, he did spend seven years there. He was loved by those fans. He did say in an interview before the game that if he scored, he wouldn't celebrate. And I think there's there's a level of respect there as well that we see. And you saw it from when, when he got subbed off, the Fulham and the Chelsea fans all stood up and applauded him off. And 
I think he he sort of paid that back. And I think it's fair enough. Like, you know, if you only spent two or three years at a club, then fine. But seven years at a club is a really long time. If you consider the only players at our club who've been there for seven I, I years. I completely disagree with that. I really no, no. The, the only players who've been at our club for seven years are Kenny and Tim Ream. And you would hope that if they scored against Fulham, if they moved on and, and went somewhere else, you, you would kind of hope that there's a little bit of respect there and you'd, you'd think, you know, did you not care about your time at Fulham? No, but there's no disrespect in celebrating an excellent piece of work and an excellent bit of build-up playing with your teammates, something you've worked at on and the he training did. He, you know, he, he hugged all the players and... He looked yeah. up into the stands at his family and did a love heart and was still smiling and stuff. So I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't have any issue with it personally. I knew, I knew Sam would have an issue with it, which is why I brought it up. Yeah, um, but I wanted him to do an Adam. Well, it sounds like I've got a bigger issue with it. Yeah, p- potentially. I, I'm just, you know, I, I, I quite like that side of it when players are respectful. I don't think it happens all the time, and I don't think it ha- needs to happen all the time. If you know, if there's players who played for Fulham for one or two years who then score against us. I'm not expecting them to not celebrate, but I think when you do have a stint, as long as Willian had at Chelsea, I, I do understand it. And so I, I think that's fair enough. But look, from from there, uh, Fulham went in at halftime 1-0 up. What, what were you guys' thoughts? Were you thinking that this game was sort of on the edge? Were you thinking that we had it completely in control? Dad, I'll chuck to you first. Oh, there's no way. There's no way I'm thinking... It's under control. You know, it, it doesn't matter who we play. Um, I'm always feeling like, can we please have at least two? Um, one nil lead to me, I don't care if we're 10 minutes out from the final whistle. I'm not comfortable with a one nil lead. Um, that doesn't mean that I think this is a Fulhamish side, but one nil is not a cushion. So in, in a game as big as this, in the team, as much as they are a rabble at the moment, or certainly they're not successful in executing uh, and they're not a goal-scoring machine, they've still got the quality. And as long as Jao Felix was on the, on, the, on the field, I was concerned that we were not... 1-0 was never going to be far enough ahead of them. Yeah, absolutely. Sammy, your thoughts? Um, I believe it was read in the Shawshank Redemption that said, hope can drive a man insane. And in in my brain at half time, I was like, it's kind of all coming together a little bit. But that kind of, I was like, I was like, I trust the boys, and I love the boys, and I want it so badly to be true. But it's it's it was almost kind of like I want it so badly to be true that I was just stressed and judging myself because I was like, I was like, it makes sense that this is happening, but bad things is, happen to Fulham fans. But it, it is like that feeling when you're playing in a final. And you're sort of dreaming about getting to the final, and then you get to the final, and firstly you're actually there, and you're pinching yourself, and, and then you get, you start getting into a position of ascendancy. It's a weird feeling that you're thinking, you know, as, as confident as much as I believe, this can't be happening. Yeah, or like Messi winning the World Cup, it almost just feels a little bit too fairy tale, and then it it kind of just starts not feeling real, and then you start to then you start to derail yourself. Well, the yeah. the fairy tale fell to pieces not long after half time. Come back out. I thought Chelsea started the second half really well. Um, a, a silly foul. Uh, not long after, it would have been only been maybe a minute after the restart. Uh, set up a free kick on the left wing. Mason Mount stepped up to take it. 
swings the ball in, hits the post, then rebounds onto Leno, falls at the feet of Koulibaly, who awkwardly pokes the ball in. Leno is sat in his goal, tries to save it, but can't keep it from going on the line. Um, Sammy, your thoughts on the Chelsea goal? Should should we have done better? Uh, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because like, it, it bounces off the post. So Because I thought it was... Um, Leno who saved it, but he didn't actually save it. He kind of jumped and then it hit the post. Then it kind of just basically fell straight to Koulibaly, who then just had to like kick it in. And like Leno was basically just sitting like a little toddler. So I was like, I was like, what, like, what really else can you do in that moment aside from possibly better marking him? But it's Koulibaly. And yeah, like I, I, I feel like they kind of just caught us sleeping a little bit. But I mean, that's that's kind of just what happens when you play those elite level teams. You just kind of got to be switched on as much as possible. So, yeah. And then at that point, I was like, I was like, it's going exactly the way I thought it would go. And then again, I was like, I was like, it's the stress came back. And Dad, we we briefly spoke about it this morning when I had to call you to talk about Fulham with someone. Um, Bernd Leno doesn't set a wall there. Uh, I see Willian wandering around and puts himself in the sort of position between the ball and the goal, but Leno purposefully makes a decision not to set a wall there, and that encourages the shot from Mason Mount, which then creates a chance. Do you think Leno should have set a wall there and should have possibly protected his goal a bit better and forced Chelsea to swing a ball into the box? We, we had this discussion that's, that in some detail. Just take it away and explain, because I think I think... It's your analysis, and I think it's a really good piece of analysis. Oh, well, yeah, okay. My my, my point there was I, I feel like we saw it in the Southampton game where Leno set a questionable wall um, and allowed James Ward-Prowse, who's probably the best free-kick taker in the Premier League, to have a fairly clear shot on goal and basically said, come on, come on, try, see what happens, and he scored. And I feel like Leno did the same thing last night where he, he should have set a proper wall there. That's that's a position where you have a two-man wall uh, and you set it up properly to protect that near post so that you can position yourself in the other half of the goal so that if a ball gets swung into the box, you have the ability to come out and claim it. And if they do go for the near post, you have the ability to come across and, and block it. But I, I feel like there's something there where, that Leno needs to address because I don't think he's setting up walls properly and I don't think he's properly defending his goal I really think that goal could have actually been completely avoided if he'd set up a wall properly because Mount would have swung the ball into the box. We dealt with balls coming in aerially very well for the whole game and I would much have preferred us to force them to put in a cross than allow them to create something else by by Mount having a shot on goal and, and it did cause a goal and I think there has to be some fault there for Leno who for me was actually man of the match anyway but I think he could have prevented that by setting up a wall. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't fault that too much. I think that's a fair constructive criticism. I think that's fair constructive criticism. And look, from from there, you know, it's always tough. The ball lands in the box. It's whoever gets their foot to it first and reacts best. Koulibaly does. He gets a little toe poke on the ball. Unfortunately, like I said, Leno was sat in the goal. He couldn't do anything about that. I think. The ball was probably a solid thirty centimeters across the line when Leno actually made the initial save. So, yeah, um, quite an obvious goal there, and disappointing after what was a great first half to fall behind so early. I, I really felt like 
that was going to be a big blow to us. And it did seem like Chelsea got themselves back into the game at that point. Um, from there, though, geez, Jao Felix, like we said, he was by far and away the best player on the pitch, I think, across both teams. Um, I can't remember the exact minute. Let me just have a quick look. 58th minute, Jao Felix comes in. Slightly poor touch. Ball gets away from him. Jao Felix lunges in, studs up, hits Tete just below the knee, or maybe midway up the shin to say, but very, very high studs up. There was obviously no intention to hurt him, um, and it did seem like he maybe tried to pull his foot away at the very end when he realised how stupid a tackle it was. But, Dad, your thoughts on that challenge and how, I mean, how dumb it was. It's interesting how frequently you see it where um, an initial poor touch causes an overreaction and a dive in from a player who's almost embarrassed that the ball's got away from him and they know they should have done better. And that's in no way malicious, um, but it's just a, a lapse in concentration, really. And I think you made the point when we were talking offline, and I think it's a good point, in that it felt like he was feeling the weight of responsibility to be the live wire for Chelsea, and he was. And he was the guy creating everything and actually winning, you know, a, a, a lot of second balls and just working really hard. And maybe he was just a little bit too exuberant. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely see him as trying to um, be everything everywhere all at once. And when you're trying to do everything, you do everything. And don't get me wrong, I thought he was brilliantly creative. I thought he was, um, oh, he just had a couple of incredible touches and incredible, like, um, bits of vision, which just, just exuded quality. But, yeah, when you're doing absolutely everything, especially when it hits about, like, the 60-minute mark, you get tired, you make silly mistakes. Um, Jao Felix is not a defender or has much defensive acumen. He made a mistake, but he had to do everything because Chelsea couldn't give a toss for the large portions of the game. Yeah, look, I when I spoke with Dad earlier, I, I compared it to um, the Chalibur challenge um, early in the season when, when he came, came in against Newcastle, really wanted to prove a point and just got a little bit carried away. And I think Jao Felix, there was part of that. It's his debut. He's obviously playing really well. He's had a few shots on goal and hasn't scored yet. He really wants to prove that he's worth all this money that Chelsea are forking out for him, even though it's just a loan deal. And the ball slightly gets away from him and he goes, I need to win this back because I don't want to make any mistakes in my debut. He overcommits, overstretches, catches him high. It's an obvious red card. I don't think there can be any complaints about it whatsoever. And I haven't really seen anyone complain about it so far either. So I don't think, I don't. you can't do that. You can't go and studs up shin high on someone and expect to get away with it. Uh, I thought even if the ref didn't give a straight red card, which he obviously did, uh, that was going to go to VAR and very quickly get overturned and turned into a straight red card. So look, that that for me, and I tweeted at the time saying that's the turning point because Jao Felix was by far the best player. No one else on that Chelsea team looked like creating anything throughout the whole game. Yeah. Um, and it really felt like a moment where this was the time to kick on and actually make the most of it. And and we did. And it was through the man who, Sam, you and I spoke for a very long time about 
um, Carlos Vinicius, who in the 73rd minute gets the ball. I just have to say as well, that move actually in a in a way sort of starts with Vinicius. I, I watched it again yeah. just before. Um, Tom Kearney gets the ball, plays it nicely into Vinicius. He gets passed, but uh, actually, no, it might be Willian gets the ball, plays it into Vinicius, who plays it back out again with his back to goal to Tom Kearney, who then spreads it wide, uh, gets out to Tete, who then plays it to Wilson, I think, who then lays it back to Pereira from very, very deep Pereira. But he sees the opportunity, and this is the quality of someone like Pereira, oh, who yeah. is sitting way, way back on the wing, but sees the fact that if he puts a ball in high and deep, Vinicius is in a position between the two defenders where he can make the most of it. It's a perfect ball. It's a pinpoint ball, which, you know, you just watch that a few times and and see the beauty in that ball. Vinicius peels off the back, a beautiful header into basically an open net because Kepper gets caught completely in two minds, doesn't come out for the ball, doesn't stay in his goal. He's in no man's land. The two defenders, and again, I'd say it's Chalaba's fault here again. He's not picked up Vinicius, and Vinicius just peels off comfortably. Really simple header, and what a celebration from him. Sammy, when you saw that goal go in, uh, what were you doing at the time? Oh, so I didn't see the goal go in. Like this, this, uh, so I got to work because I um, was actually watching it in a cubicle at the time because I. What kind of cubicle? Sorry, Sam. No, I was just going to tell you, I got to work and then I needed to do a bowel movement. So I went to the bowel, I went to go do a bowel movement, but then I got stuck there for about 20 minutes. Anyway, what I didn't realize was I had automated lights on and then the lights turned off. So then I'm just kind of stuck there in the dark, um, kind of doing my business, watching the game. I had to put like a flashlight on, wipe my bum, then I have to run up to go to work, I get into work, and then there's a couple of things I had to do immediately. And by the time I, I it was probably about like six minutes between all this, and then by the time that I had put the, um, the game back on and I just had it at my desk, Vinicius had already scored. Now, with that being said, um, after that segue, I have since watched the entire game <laughs> since I've got home. And every, first of all, first of all, um, I've been so critical of Vinicius this entire time because I don't think that he has been up to scratch. Um, I think a lot of that has clearly been down to confidence. And we were saying it in the last pod, uh, how I just hope and I believe that maybe he can actually go into this game a little bit more comfortably. I don't think he did. I don't think he had an amazing 90 minutes, but. Um, Marco Silva said that he didn't want Vinicius to be Mitrovic. He wanted him to be Vinicius. And Vinicius got one brilliant opportunity that he created for himself. And he scored a Vinicius goal. That was probably partly a bit inspired by things that Mitrovic would do. And yeah, it's a bit diet Mitrovic. But, oh, I, I after watching it back, I'm not exaggerating. I had a tear in my eye because I was just so happy for him. And you could just see how much it meant to this guy, like how how special that moment was. Because that if he's if he does nothing else this season or in the next three years, he has scored the winning goal against Chelsea at Craven Cottage. That is that would mean everything to him. It clearly meant everything to him. It meant so much to me. Just watching him just be so elated and just 
so genuinely happy. It's re- like it's really funny when you watch the celebration. He completely loses his mind with ecstasy. Then he kind of tightens up, kind of tries to do like a cool Mbappe kind of thing. And then he just goes back to just being so happy. And I really hope that this is like the beginning of him coming with confidence and actually being the backup striker that we've always wanted him to be. Well, I I think if you looked at um, at his celebration, I saw a really great tweet just after saying that is the celebration of a man who's just had the weight of 40,000 supporters lifted off his shoulders in one moment. Because, yeah, you know, we've been we've been on Vinicius pretty much every time he's played. We, we have tried to keep some faith in him and back him. And I think um, from our last pod when we talked about him and, and basically agreed that he needs to be given every opportunity possible and we need to back him as much as possible to get his confidence up. And he's forever going to be known as the guy who scored the winner against Chelsea. And, you know, these moments don't come along that often. The last 60 years, it was up until last night, it was Boa. He was yeah. the only person to have scored a winner for Fulham against Chelsea in 60-odd years. So, you know, a few people have said, if he never scores for Fulham again, I don't even care because yeah. he's got that moment. And I, I think that's going to be something that he can hang his hat on going forward. Dan, Genuine your, tier. Your, your thoughts on, on the Fulham goal and, and Vinicius in general? Well, look, I think it was a real coming of age. And I, I think I think, I think think it's probably not fair to say that we've been on his case. I think all of us have recognised that there's something there. Poor guy had to adjust the Premier League football, getting you know a handful of minutes from time to time, not even regularly. So he's had a fairly difficult apprenticeship and introduction to Premier League football in a team that you know at the outset of the season had no right to believe that they were there to stay. So he was used really sparingly. Um, but I. I, I take my hat off to Silva and his coaching crew for encouraging, you know, they could have had a major panic attack um, coming into this Chelsea game with, with Mitrovic suspended and feeling like the one opportunity to snatch a victory from, from Chelsea when they were on the ropes was now in question. And he came out, you know, it wasn't a, posthumous comment he came out before the game and said that he just wanted him to play with personality mm-hmm. and I, I i thought that that's exactly Vinicius really seemed to rise to the occasion and he he you know come with the hour and i think he he really rose to it he he looked pumped he looked really happy to be to have that responsibility to be the guy and, um, no, I'm really, really happy for him. And I think we that was a massive, massive moment for this squad because, <laughs> I don't know, from a sentimental perspective, of course, he, he can take that one to his grave. No one's ever going to take it off him. And people will talk about that, um, you know, in, in Fulham circles forever. And he won't be resigned. So don't be don't be thinking that that's all he's going to do. But you know, for the for the rest of the season, he's proved himself an absolutely worthy backup to Mitrovic, 
And if he's clearly very passionate, he's fiery, he's confident. And I think, well, he, he's a confidence player is what I mean. And I think that's going to mean the world to him. And it's a massive injection in, in, into his, uh, you know, in, in, into his role um, as, as Mitrovic. Can we, I don't know if we can call him Mitrovic light anymore. Can we die Mitrovic? <laughs> no, I call him that. Did you guys, did you guys see um, how happy Marco Silva was when yeah, he yeah, scored? Yeah. Like that was yeah. just so lovely because that in my brain yeah. I was like that is that is somebody who believes in you, yeah. who is proud of you, and is kind of like yes, you finally did what I always thought you could do. God bless yeah. Marco Silva. God bless. It's him. it's kind of like the yeah the not the experiment as such, but the plan worked, and so that was definitely part of the celebration there. I think another thing to comment on as well, you know, we uh, we commented on it in the last podcast, me and Sam as well, the the fact that Vinicius. Pereira and Willian are a very tight-knit group as the three Brazilians in the club and three Portuguese guys, not Portuguese, three guys who speak Portuguese, and um, they're, they're very tight-knit. And the fact that all three of them were the contributing factors to our win tonight, I think, has a massive effect as well. Like, you saw how excited everyone was for Vinicius scoring. I think he's a really loved player and a loved character around the squad. And so... That's going to be a big thing for the squad, as we mentioned. But um, it's also important to note as well that this is the first time this season that we've won when Mitrovic is not playing. Every time that Mitrovic mm. hasn't played so far, we've lost. True. Admittedly, um, not the easiest games, but it still has to be noted that this is the first time that we've actually got up and done it without Mitro. So at the start of the season, people are saying uh, Mitro can't do it in the Premier League. Then he can. And then Fulham also, on top of that, need to prove that they can do it without Mitro in the Premier League. And now we have proved that we can at the highest level as well. Mm. So that's a really important point to make, that um, that was the first win without Mitro in the team this season, which is is great to see. Um, Look, from there, I don't know what you guys felt, but for the rest of the game, I didn't actually... I mean, I felt nervous because I wanted to get that win, but I never felt like we really felt under pressure. There were a couple of little moments... Well, Leno made some pretty impressive saves again. Um, but, guys, between the two of you, did you feel nervous closing that game out? My soul kind of left my body a little bit towards, like, the end of it. And literally, I was just staring at the clock, just running it down in my brain. And that was probably the only stress that I had, just um, just running down that clock. But, yeah, after that, just what do you say, you know? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in that first period of 11 versus 10, I was a bit frustrated, to be honest, that we weren't going harder when we had the ascendancy after uh, Jao Felix got sent off. I thought we should have we should have gone for the jugular. Um, so I, I, I thought we could have done better, and I, and I know I wasn't alone because I think Marco Silva was going nuts that he thought we were underperforming. Yeah, he was he was frustrated. Yeah, but w- once we got to once once Vinicius scored two one, and we had twenty plus six minutes, even though that's a long long way, you know, to the finish line, I I didn't think that I, I really didn't think that we were going to lose it. Of course, with 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 a one goal cushion, they could have still taken two points off us, uh, but I felt fairly comfortable 
I mean, Chelsea definitely dropped their heads as well. There's, there's kind of no denying that. I feel like they put like a little bit of effort in for maybe like six or seven minutes um, following the goal. But yeah, I don't think. Yeah, they, they, they didn't look to me like they wanted to equalize. If I was a Chelsea fan, I would be disgusted with the Chelsea side right now. And that's not a, that's not a slag on Graham Potter because I know everyone's going to be slagging on Graham Potter. I don't actually think it's him. I think it's the Chelsea players, but that's that's a different podcast. Yeah, look, I I think um, for me personally, I, I wasn't overly worried closing the game out. I thought ten against eleven, we should be closing that pretty well, and we passed the ball around really well. We looked really composed. There was that one moment, like I said, the ball came over the top, and I think it was Havertz shot on goal that Leno got down really well to save. That would have been a really terrible way to finish that game because it was a great great ball over the top. Um, have to say the, I mean, talking about substitutes in general here, um, it, it may be slightly worrying when you can see Chelsea bringing on over a hundred million pounds worth of players off their bench. Um, you had Cucurella come on, Jorginho, Ziyech, Conor Gallagher, um, Kani Chukwameka, I think his name is, can't pronounce mm. it. Um, but they're they're pulling you know hundred million off the bench. And not even Mbamiyang getting on either, which is kind of crazy. But and talking of subs as well, though, and I mentioned it to Dad this morning, I, I did really think that Marco Silva's game management was perfect there. He brought on Wilson and Kearney, and five minutes later, we score the opening goal with both of them involved. Mm. Um, towards the end of the game, he brings on uh, Solomon, brings on uh, Chalaber and Dan James right at the very end just to close the game out as well. Um, I think, you know, Silva proved that he was tactically a good manager, but... Adding on top of that, the the substitutions that he made really made sense and really made a difference throughout, which I was really pleased with. So, look, guys, from from there, we close out the game really comfortably, finish the cottage is absolutely rocking. I hope you guys spend a bit of time watching those final few few minutes after the game when they're doing a couple of interviews and you can barely hear the guys talking because the people were hanging around after the game for such a long time, cheering, singing songs. They, these are nights that you don't forget as a Fulham fan. And I'm I'm so glad that I did wake up at 4am for it, even though my wife is not very happy about me getting up at 4am because I set an alarm that woke her up. Um, hey Jack, 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 before you move on to your next point, um, with everything that's happened, and again, I think um, Marco's, uh, Marco Silva's game management was so excellent that should we actually genuinely be start getting stress that some big name clubs are genuinely going to start looking at him because i feel that he's really becoming a bit of bit of a target for that now i don't think so i mean the the big name clubs we're talking about are um a chelsea who are below us in the league at the moment um mm. west ham potentially might be looking at replacing david moyes everton are probably going to replace frank lampard i i think he's got some really good financial backing so far from um, from the Khans. He's got a really good squad that he understands and knows really well. I don't see why he would leave. I know you could probably say that for Graham Potter as well, but I think Graham Potter turns out to be a cautionary tale, effectively, where you look at it and go, he left Brighton for money. He, he was in this great paddock where he had a great team who he'd built for years and turned into this sort of small powerhouse in the Premier League. You've gone chasing money thinking it's going to be great and the grass is greener, but it's just not. So, yeah, I mean, true. obviously clubs might come for him and, and do something, but Fulham have expressed, um, not an interest, Fulham have come out and said that they are going to start looking at getting his contract extended. 
So I, I don't think there's a chance of him leaving at this stage. But I, I agree. It's something you have to always be worried about. And as a side like Fulham, you have to be worried about it with your players as well, that if your players and your manager are performing, people are going to be looking at them. Mm. Um, but, yeah, what I was going to say is just looking at the league table now, Fulham sitting in sixth place. Um, we're comfortably in a Europe spot. Obviously, we have Liverpool behind us and we've got two games in hand over them. Same two games in hand over Brighton as well, who are uh, four points behind us. But uh, we're one game ahead of Brentford so far, but we're sitting five points clear of them. We're literally four points out of the Champions League spots. But even more importantly, um, 18th place currently has 15 points. We are 16 points above the relegation zone at the halfway point in the season. Dad, is that something you thought we would even remotely be considering at this point in the season? We, we definitely weren't expecting to be here. When I think about, um, you know, those games at the beginning of the season, uh, we lost by small margins. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing those guys again because I think we're going we're gonna to be more competitive. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, you know, obviously the games against Man City, we... We, we should have taken points away from that game. We were unlucky not to. We might not have those opportunities again, but the one thing I am confident about is beating every team below us, barring maybe Liverpool. Um, but looking at the way we're playing at the moment, we're, we're better than 15, or maybe not, yeah, probably 15 other teams in the league at the moment, or maybe 13 other teams in the league at least. And when you're looking at how many points we need for safety from here, we only need three wins and we've got nine so far this season which is just insane to think about because if you'd offered me nine wins at the start of the season for the whole season, I'd have probably taken it. Um, mm. So look, it's, it's one of those things where you just look at it and go, I, I cannot believe it. And you're kind of rubbing your eyes and making sure that it's, it's definitely real. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, the position we're in at the moment, I've, I'm just going to pull up. I don't know if you guys follow Fulham Analytica. Um, Sammy, do you follow them on Twitter? I mean, I, I I I leave you to do the stats. I just come in here with raucous charisma <laughs> and energy. So Co- Cottage Analytica, not Fulham, sorry, Cottage Analytica on um, on Twitter. They're they're brilliant, by the way. Um, they run the, the Monte Carlo simulation after every Fulham game. Um, I'll just give you the the current update after the Chelsea game. Basically, what this does is it runs a model ten thousand times based on all the statistics being thrown in. Uh, for the Premier League so far this season. Uh, Fulham's now projected finish, based on the statistics so far, is to finish ninth, which I think we'd all take. The probability of relegation after 10,000 simulations were run is 0%. So basically, there was not one time in the 10,000 times this model was run where Fulham got relegated. Um, Probability of European qualification up around 14.5%. Previously, it was 5%. Projected points total of about 53 at the moment, so picking up another 22 points for the second half of the season, which I think we would all be pretty disappointed with if we only made 50, if we only picked up 22 when we've picked up 31 in the first half of the season so far. I was going to say. Um, obviously, it's you know taking into account that we're not going to pick up a point against Liverpool. We're not going to pick up, um, uh, you know, the, we, we shouldn't, based on statistics, shouldn't beat a lot of these teams, but we probably will, hopefully. Um but, guys, I think what we'll do, we'll take a quick break. We've had a couple of questions come in from some of our listeners. Uh, so when we get back from the break, we'll go through those and uh, we'll close out uh, a historic pod. 
Righto, we are back. So, guys, I've got a few questions from some of our listeners, some of our followers. Um, I'll just hand to you guys. You can answer them. So first question comes in um, from Wayne. He's got a couple of questions for us. First one, uh, Dad, do you think we can do the double over Chelsea this year? Yeah, I do. Um, I think I think with João Felix uh, out for our second or yeah, second game against them, um, <laughs> fills me with a lot more confidence than if if he was uh, fit and able and ready to play. Um, and I think, given the state of Chelsea, um, I think they'd be quite nervous and uh, concerned about playing Fulham again. Sammy, I. No, I no question in my mind that um, the game against Chelsea was probably our biggest mental hurdle that we've overcome. We've had a couple of mental hurdles, i.e. Um, playing against City with a realistic opportunity of winning and again um, with Man U as well. Um, this after, If the boys can do this without Mitrovic, no question in my mind that they can do it again. Oh, I'd love to see them... Love to see smack them smug. Ugh. I'd love to see it happen at Chelsea away. Um, I, yep. Yeah, I was just going to say. I think. Um, I think it's a it's a real possibility. Um, and I don't. I don't think there's any better time than this season to do it. If you look at the the issues that Chelsea are having, we're playing them in what two three weeks time. Mm. Um, they're, they're not going to be fixed in two, three weeks' time. No, no, absolutely, and and possibly got a new new manager, and they're going to have Joao Felix missing, who was their missing link. Um, they're going to probably not have any players back. Zakaria picked up a thigh injury, and Potter said uh, tonight doesn't look great. Um, so you know, it's it's definitely if there's any time to do it, this is the time. And I, I think looking looking at it, you'd you'd hope that we can get the the double over them because I don't think it's ever been done before by Fulham. Um, and what a what a season that would be! You you tap out at that point if you get safety and a double over Chelsea in a season, mm. you'd take that hands down. And, and in, I mean, it's unlikely, but if if we do somehow beat Newcastle and then Spurs, um, we'd be playing Chelsea for the chance to take us to forty points for the season, which would be pretty impressive if we got the win there as well. That would be a real moment. Talking of the Newcastle game, Dad, uh, another question in from Wayne here. How are we going to go against Newcastle? It's a it's a really really small turnaround, the smallest in the league so far this season. Where we play them Thursday night and again on Sunday. Um, how do you think we're going to get? How, how do you think we're going to get on against Newcastle, who, who did batter us earlier in the season? Yeah, um, I, I, I thought we were unlucky in that game, and Newcastle are good, um, so I think they're deserving of their position in in the league table. But it's obviously a really tough fixture. I'm concerned that we've lost uh, Robinson uh, through suspension, but let's turn it around and look at look at it as a massive opportunity for Kazawa to show show us more of what he showed in in, in the FA Cup tie with Hull. Uh, but we've got Mitrovic back as well, so look, we're we're pretty confident at the moment. I would have thought that dressing room, surely, as we said before isn't going to fear anyone, and I think they'd be expecting to to win it. Yeah, I, I, on that point as well about missing Robinson, it is a shame, obviously, that he'll be missing, but I do think Kazawa looked really good in the game against Hull. I know it was Hull, 
but I think he he actually looked like he could fill the gap, and I'm not too worried about that. I'm I'd be more worried if Mitro was missing for another game through injury, for example. But um, Kazawa in for Robinson, I think, will actually kind of work well for us. We'll have a full team, and I, I I'm not too worried about that change. Sammy, your thoughts on the Newcastle game coming up? Yeah, you know, genuinely, I think Newcastle are going to beat us. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be the most Fulham thing possible. But you know what? I'll take a loss against Newcastle over winning back to back against Chelsea. I feel <laughs> I feel I like I can't I can't I in my my brain taps out at Fulham doing six wins in a row. It's too good to be true. I don't trust it and I I think I don't think they're going to pump us, but I think it'll be I think it will actually be a respectable 2-1 that will potentially humble us and hope take us forward to maybe a draw against Spurs. I actually also can't see us beating Spurs as well. And then we come back to Chelsea with violence in our eyes. That's 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 my dream. That's my dream. I want that to happen. Because you've got to have Jeopardy. Like you know like the Mighty Ducks? The Mighty Ducks can't win every game. Fair, fair call. I, I I do sort of agree with you there. I think the Newcastle game might be a step too far, not because of their ability, but purely because of the short turnaround. And I did just see before Marco Silva was had his pre- crazy, the fact we played last night and Silva was sitting in um, doing his pre-match press conference for the Newcastle game first thing this morning. He's just, just finished and basically saying uh, that it's completely unfair that the game's 2pm on a Sunday after what has been a really busy period after the World Cup and coming into a very, very thick and fast set of fixtures. Um, the fact that Chelsea don't have a game this weekend, they played last Sunday and then they played Friday and they don't have any other games. We've we've actually played more games than most of the teams in the league so far this season. I think there's only, um, at the moment, Fulham, we're the only team to have played 19 games this season. By the weekend, we're going to be the first team to have played 20 games when some teams will still be on 17 games. I was about to say, are we playing Sunday? Yeah, we're playing Newcastle on Sunday. What? I didn't know. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy the turnaround. So fortunately, we did have Mitro rested, which is going to work in our favour. We have the ability to bring in Diop, who was rested as well. Um, I don't think there's going to be too many issues. You know, we could put Solomon straight into the starting lineup if we felt like we needed to rest. Uh, Willian and Bobby Deckard over Reed. We could have yeah Solomon and Wilson both start as well. So, uh, but like like you said, Sammy, I think it's going to be a bit of a stretch for us, and I think. Um, we'd probably be better off focusing on on Spurs and and Chelsea coming back to the cottage as well. Um, Sammy, a quick one for you as well from Alex uh, in the Fulham WA group. Um, what European beer will the uh, supporters be drinking next season during our European tour? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, to be honest, like, I, like everyone needs to be like just bumping coke by my standards, like. Like let's let's party. Why are we just settling for beer? I'm gonna be cutting that big time, Sammy. <laughs> no, no, embrace it. I'm not giving you another response. You can go to dad. Oh god. Um Dad, I'll go to you with another question then. Um Big Cheese asks, which players have improved their transfer value under Marco Silva? Um taking into account what we paid for them and their perceived value now. Um well, the two obvious ones for me would be Bird Leno mm-hmm. and obviously um, Jean Pellini. 
Yeah, um, I, I think that's pretty much a given, really. I mean, I don't know if this has done enough. We we love him and we Bless we're him. very happy for him, uh, but I think he's he's done enough to to um, you know earn earn his place in the squad now as a very very good replacement for Metro if he has continues the same sort of vein of form. But uh, Solomon, you know, hasn't shown enough yet. Hasn't had an opportunity to show enough yet. Willian, I mean, surely. Maybe Williams, the, the the one who's shown the greatest increase from zero to surely worth something now. Are you, are you telling me that if if we didn't re-sign William at the end of the season, that no one else would pick him up? No way. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the one person you've missed there who I think has definitely had their transfer value increased is Andreas Pereira. Thank you. Signed Thank him, you. I think, for yeah. about 10, 10 million. And he's sure. proving so far. I, I saw a really good tweet as well from um, a Brazilian account saying um, Andreas Pereira so far this season across the top leagues in Europe, he's the highest. He has the highest goal involvements of any Brazilian player across the top five leagues in Europe. Mm. Um, I'm loving him at the moment. Not yeah, even great. surprisingly, not even close to being picked for the um, the Brazilian national team. But the fact is, he he's producing great crosses, great balls into the box for us. He's scoring goals. Um, he was discarded by Man United, who basically looking at him, going, "We don't need this bloke anymore." Um, you know, he and a lot of players. Um, sorry, not not players. A lot of fans coming out and saying, you know, Andreas Pereira always looked like he had talent, but never produced. And what he's what's happened under Marco Silva is he's producing. And mm. I, I don't know exactly how much we signed him for. I think it was about ten million, um, but he's got to be worth twenty-five to thirty now, easily. At least, at least. And and when you're talking about value, when you talk about someone like Leno, who we've effectively signed for three million pounds this year, and he's probably a twenty, thirty million dollar keeper. That's ten x his his value. Um, Polina is probably an eighty million pound player. That's four x his value. Pereira, I say, is pro- probably. A thirty thirty million dollar thirty million pound player. Sorry, so we're we're talking about the fact that these guys have been bought in, and you have to take your hat off again to Tony Khan and say, look, we've done some seriously good business, and I do hope we don't become a selling club like the likes of Southampton have in the past, where you get these players in on great deals, and a year or two later you see them walk out the door at a big profit. Admittedly, that's that's good financially for the club, but. In terms of seeing great football, you want these guys to stick around, and I, I really hope they do. I was going to say, Jack, um, I know it's a bit of a sidebar, but I was actually going to say Mason Mount v Andreas Pereira. Who would you rather have in your side? I mean, on current form, uh, Pereira. I, I would love to have someone like Mason Mount in. I think Mason Mount is a... a um, a golden Tom Kearney. Like mm. he, he plays in a similar style to Tom Kearney, but he's got both feet. He's stronger. He's faster. He's got better skills than Tom Kearney, but he's in the same mold as Tom Kearney. So I think they're slightly different players. Um, but in on current form, Pereira, hands down. He's been superb for us this season. Sorry, I should have, I should have um, 
qualified my question. And what I meant was in terms of dead ball and contributions around the, the ground, assists, uh, you know, goal assists and general work uh, you know, workload and work, work ethic, i tell you what I'd have, I'd have, no, I'd have Pereira over one and a half mounts right now. Yeah, I mean, Mason Mount is a proven goal scorer. He's a proven top-level top, top level player. He's got England caps to his name for a reason. Um, I I just think at the moment Pereira is, is showing up most midfielders in the Premier League. I think there was one point fairly early in the season, to be fair, but he was only being outdone by Kevin De Bruyne for quite a lot of the key stats. So mm. you have to say that Pereira is, you know, He's shining this season, and it's another piece of brilliant business that we've done. Yeah. Um, just seeing, uh, do we have any other questions? Uh, one question was if we could just have a quick discussion about any rumours of players coming in. We did mention it briefly previously. Um, there's a couple coming in at the moment where apparently we've made a bid for Hamari Traore, who is the captain at Wren. Uh, playing in League One. He's 30 years old, 44 caps for Mali. Uh, apparently, we've only bid £3 million for him, so quite a cheap player, effectively, for someone who's captain of a League One side. Over 200 games in League One, 26 games in Europe. Um, as someone who can cover for uh, Tete, uh, if you've got Kazawa, who's able to provide effective cover at um, left-back at the moment. I see that as a good deal. You guys, thoughts on him? Obviously, we don't really know the player that well. I mean, I, for me, I think we really need to start thinking about depth and rotation um, if we're going to start thinking bigger. And I want us to think bigger. I think Silver's starting to think bigger. Um, I think, I mean, just look at the, the options that we have on wings. That's pretty pretty great um as w we don't have options in center we don't have options really left and right back if we can beef those positions out um i think i i, I only see it as positive yeah there were talks of um talking about the center western mckinney who is a u.s international i'd love to sign him sorry i sorry i know him but yeah yeah so he there's there's been some rumors around that uh, I think he's at Juventus at the moment. They're yeah, quite keen to move him on. Uh, he he has said that he doesn't want to leave, but it sounds like Juve want to push him out. So wouldn't be surprised if we see him move on. And also another USA player, just to continue the Fulham USA link, Timothy Weyer has been linked as well, currently playing at Lille. He plays a striker slash winger. Um, the, the amount's been set at £15 million. I think he'd be a, he's only 22 so I think he'd be a good young backup striker who can also play a bit on the wing and add a little bit. I think that's a bit of a signing for the future but 15 million pounds seems a bit of a stretch. Um in terms of transfers out I don't know if you guys saw Anthony Knockart's joined joined Huddersfield on loan. Who? Knockart yeah. has joined Huddersfield who? on loan. Yeah, fair example. <laughs> Done. Um his yeah. contract expires at the end of the season so I'd say that's good by Knockart. Yeah. Have to say he's he's never he, he was great when he was at Brighton, and it's really interesting. When Huddersfield signed him on loan, they put together a highlights package. Uh, there were no highlights from his time at Fulham, which was quite yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, they they showed goals that he scored when he was playing for Brighton. They even showed some goals from when he's been playing over in um, Greece as well. But 
nothing from Fulham. So I, I don't think that's a big loss. It's it's um fair bit of cash off our wage bill by the sounds of things as well. The two other transfers, we did talk about the potential of Polina leaving at some point in the season, and, and we've discussed it previously. I, I think there's there's a bit of interest from Liverpool, but no official offer so far. Yeah, they touch any more of our players. I, I can't really imagine this one happening. Um, uh, we've got him on such a long contract. I think we would fight pretty hard to keep him at the moment because he's mm-hmm. so important for our season. And then at the end of the season, when you've got a full summer... Uh, to look at new players and and bringing someone in if we did end up having to sell him because the offer was too good to be true, I think at that point um, we we would consider selling him, but not mid-season. I can't see that happening. And then the final transfer rumour of someone leaving the team, uh, Tosin Adarabayo, Marseille have been showing an interest apparently. We did recently activate his one-year extension in his contract, so he won't be going for free at the end of the season. He's, he's locked down to the end of next season. But, um, Dad, do you think that might be the reason he's had a few more chances in the team lately? Why Why would we be giving him more chances if we've locked him in? Well, we've locked him in for, for a season, but do you think, you know, that that's a little clause in his contract that we've just activated rather than um, negotiating that with him? I don't think he actually has any control over that because I saw Decadover Reed's um, clause was was activated as well. And now we're also talking to him about an extension to his contract on top of that. But do you think potentially we're we're saying to Adarabaya, you're actually still part of our plan, so we do want you to sign a new contract? Because there have been a few rumblings from the very start of the season about Adarabaya potentially looking for, for a move. I mean, how do we know? But I, my instinct says he's. I think he genuinely is part of the... Probably, uh, I was going to say the only, but I think he's a genuine, working and successful rotation piece for us. Yeah, uh, he's not the only one because things are working quite well on the wings for us as well. But I, I, I think I think he's a uh, he has a genuine place in the team, and I'd be surprised if he felt otherwise. I, I think one thing to consider there as well is. Uh, Tim Ream obviously having the season of his of his life so far, but there there will come a point when he does get too old. I know you can look at someone like Thiago Silva who's thirty nine or something still playing for Chelsea, but uh, I mean Tim Tim Ream will eventually have to hang up his boots and and will eventually just not be able to keep up. Um, Tosin's very young still. Uh, there, there's probably the thought there that. Tosin and Diop will be the centre-back partnership in maybe two, three years' time, and you want to keep both of them around. I'm not sure. I genuinely think I could see Tosin leaving and um, swapping out being a rotation player because I think even Arsenal was like looking at him um, yeah. pretty early yeah. on in the season. And um, I I do think, especially for a young player, bless his little cotton socks, I think being a rotation player at Arsenal and probably going on maybe a pretty hefty sum because you could probably pull maybe like 30 mil out for like those top teams for somebody like Tosin as well because he's young. I think it might be enough to maybe um, have him go a different way, which would be sad 
but I think we I'm pretty confident now that the Khans could probably redistribute what we would get for Tosin. Honestly, maybe for like two players that could probably be of equal quality. I don't know. Yeah, potentially. I, I wouldn't be that surprised if... Uh, I, if I anyone's going to go, leave. I think it's him. If anyone's going to go, I think it's him. Yeah, I hope he doesn't leave, but I would not be surprised if he does. Mm. Um, and like you said, I think he, he can sort of see that he's a rotation option now and he might be wanting first-team football. Um, we, we might pick up 15, 20 mil for him, which I think would be great because I believe we picked him up for 2 million off Man City, which is a steal. Mm. Um, and if we pick up 15 mil for, for a player like that, I think we could easily find another player for 10 mil um, who would fill the gap and, and make a decent profit on him. Um, so, look, guys, what we'll do, we'll, we'll finish up what has been a, a really enjoyable pod. We've run um, a, a fair bit longer than I thought we would, but there's been a lot to discuss, and it's just been really enjoyable to talk about a, a really historic moment for the podcast, for Fulham fans everywhere. Like I said before this, one win in 60-odd years. Um, so, you know, these these moments don't come along very often. We have to savour them when they do. So, Sammy, thanks for joining us. And, and you've actually kept it fairly calm today. I was surprised after all the text messages I received early this morning. I'm very emotionally drained after <laughs> today. And I had quite a busy day at work. So I feel like I came in quite hard at the intro and I have just progressively lost steam as a result of that. But I will I will swap out my usual my I, I re-listened to my intro uh, sorry my outro last week and I was really happy with that. <laughs> um so I'm gonna turn down the energy and go a more stoic and just say to the boys, because I know that they're listening, just say to the boys a very earnest thank you. Love it, Sammy. And Dad, thank you for joining us while you're driving on the road. It's getting a little bit dark outside. I hope you're not too far from Perth. Um, it's a very, very sweet ending to a lovely podcast. I'm literally about 500 metres from my house. How good. Should have stopped in for a beer on the way home. <laughs> well, uh, I, I have to uh, have to apologise and thank your mother for being entrapped at a passenger seat. A couple of times mouthing to me, Boring and yawning. How um, dare she? <laughs> she's she's giggling with very tight lips at the moment. The best thing is we but, can confirm that mum has officially listened to her first Fulham podcast. I know. I, I know. She hasn't listened the, to the, any others. The, the, the things you have to do. Uh, so I challenge all of your partners and wives to uh, for you to find a way to get them to listen to at least one of your podcasts. Paris has Paris very openly said to me, I don't care. I love you. I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you, you spoke to Tegan face-to-face -face and she said there's no way in hell she's listening to one of these. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think there's much of a chance of that. Maybe I have to sit in a car with her and pretend that we're podcasting and just play one out. Um, no, thank you guys for, for joining us tonight. I know it's been a bit of a logistical nightmare, but I'm really glad we got together to talk this one through and... Um, Really looking forward to hopefully talking through another win after the Newcastle game as well. So with that, West London is ours, and come on you whites. <laughs>